This is the What I Love For podcast for Thursday, August 15th, 2019. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the What I Love For podcast. And today I have my friend Rachel on. This one was a long time coming. <laughs> uh, Rachel is uh, one of the, I'd say one of the most I don't even have words for what she is. She's she's just a, such a great person. And she's super positive, and she's um, she she has a story. Um, and 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 just being her friend, I've I've heard a lot of a lot of these stories that um, that you're hearing on the podcast. But some of them I did not hear. So uh, I learned something as I you know interviewed her on the podcast. So uh, like I said, Rachel is one of my good friends. I talk to her on a regular basis, and she's like the most positive and you know uplifting person that I've ever met on Instagram. Uh, I finally got a chance to meet her in May when we went to Flying Pig. Uh, that was a surprise. I think we talked about that in the, in the episode. We probably didn't, but I'm not sure. Um, but she she's just a great person, and I'm, I'm glad that I finally got her on the podcast since she was begging me to be on the podcast for months. Um, but you can kind of hear, you know, the friendship that we have through through this podcast. And uh, like I said, she's she's such a great person, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. So uh, without further ado, we're just going to get right into it. Enjoy the episode. You've made it. I have. I have. It's only <laughs> been about three months of begging. <laughs> Only yeah. man on the podcast. Well, yeah, and I'm not gonna lie, I felt kind of desperate, really. Why? Please, please let me be on your podcast. Why didn't you want me to be on your podcast? And then you just, it's, it's eventually, I don't know whether it's that you actually really want me on or whether you just thought that it was easier to shut me up if you had me on. But either way, I'm happy I'm here. Well, I'm glad to have you here. <laughs> See, now I kind of don't want to interview like everybody else. Now I just want to talk you to you. Can, you <laughs> see, that seems to work for Daryl, but you can you can do whatever you want. It is your podcast, darling. I am just along for the ride, which you know is guaranteed to be guaranteed to be a great ride. For those who don't know, I am on the line with Rachel, uh, Hopeful Ray of Sunshine on Instagram. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been, <laughs> we was trying to get get on. Uh, get this going for a while and it finally happened because I woke up early this morning and Eric was like, Hey, let's just go ahead and podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> All the best podcasts in my life started that way. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. That's how Daryl and I started doing our weekly was because um, Daryl and I used to talk all the time and then we eventually just sort of, we, it wasn't that we weren't interested in each other anymore. It's just that it's difficult to keep in touch. And then one day I was just like, Hey, I should be on your podcast. And he's like, excellent. What about now? And I went, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I am a, I am a fan um, of the the moment. Yes. I'm not actually awake right now, but I'm going to make it work. So uh, I'm going to ask this question because I asked everybody this question. Rachel, where did you grow up? Um. I grew up in a, a suburb called Canley Vale, uh, which is in southwest Sydney, Australia. And what was your childhood like? Oh, wow. Um, 
yeah, I know that's a loaded question. It was look, you know, it was full of love. But yeah. it was also very full of loss and grief. I um I lost a lot of family members at a very young age. Um yeah. which I think it's actually something that's easier to deal with when you're a child than when you're an adult. Um, kids are remarkably resilient. I feel, I feel their absence more now than I did at the time. But yeah, no, I was. Um, I think I was five. I was five when my brother was killed, and then I was nine when my father passed away. So a lot of a lot of loss. A lot of loss. Young. Yeah. But I was happy and I was loved. No, how do you think that that affects you as a person, like today? Like how? Because you seem very, like you, you're very like nothing. You can like roll with the punches. Like you don't let things affect you as much as they used. It, not used to, but like you let things not affect you as much. Like you, you, you fight to kind of better yourself. Like, I, I guess that's a question I'm asking. That's, like. that's okay. That's okay. I get, I get what you're saying. So I'm just going to work my way through that. Um, okay. Okay. I think that it made me very good at telling people how I felt about them. Um, yeah. I think anytime there's somebody in my life that I really care about, there's no doubt that I really care about them. I make that very, very clear. Um, and I think that's something that I, I learned young because I did, I, I did learn that sometimes people don't come home from the hospital and so, you know, sometimes people don't come home. My, yeah. my brother, my brother was on a trip. He was visiting friends up in Queensland and, um, he just never came home. And, yeah. um, yeah. And so I, I think that it helped me in that way. There's so many there are so many things that I, I can look at and know where they started. I think my poor attitude with emotional eating started when my father died. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, and that would be, I, I guess, a lifelong battle that I've had with food there that started then. But I, I, I think that if anything, it, it taught me incredible resilience because um, sometimes the bottom's just going to fall out and you just got to keep going. Um, and remarkably, uh, for a long time, it taught me to keep my heart on my sleeve, you know, and um, and I was always very, very open. And, and it's only been in the last couple of years that I've really sort of established boundaries and um, and I only let people know what I want to let them know. Um, but prior to that, I was kind of very open because I just didn't know how long I had or how long anybody really had, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's true. You don't know how much time you really have on this earth, yeah. so you should really appreciate it. Exactly. Got to take it, take it with both hands. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Okay. What is, what, what was childhood Rachel like? What was, what was childhood Rachel like? Or Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I know the answer, but they don't know. <laughs> she was uh, precocious. 
okay, so so I I am the youngest in a really big family. So I have yeah. eleven siblings, and my next sibling up is eight years older than me. And so I was kind of always that kid that was raised around adults, and I was never really treated like I was a child. Um, and because my father was sick for a lot of my childhood, I really was never treated like I was a child. And so yeah. I kind of found it very difficult to relate to people my own age because I I just, like, I was just like, really? Aren't we a bit beyond this? No, Rachel, we're seven. We're not beyond this. But but in my, <laughs> in my head, I felt like I was. And, and so I became very, very... Um, I I got lost very much in a creative kind of world and I lived uh, vicariously through characters in books and films and I was a dancer. My life was all about performance and dance and um, very vigilant, very dedicated, very uh, goody two-shoes. That, that, mm-hmm. I was goody two-shoes right up until I was about 24. <laughs> I really was. Um, uh, yeah, I, I was. I was very cheerful and very bright and bubbly. I think that's something that's never really changed. But I also, I also didn't like to make waves, and I didn't want to make people's lives harder. And I think that I. You know, I I didn't do things that normal kids do. I guess I didn't. I didn't really rebel. I didn't. You know, <laughs> I remember having an argument with my mother about something ridiculous when I was sixteen, and I was standing there going, "Do you know what girls my age are doing? <laughs> a lot of sex and a lot of drugs, and I'm doing neither. You're here yelling at me because I didn't put the peanut butter back in the pantry." <laughs> No, I, I I can totally understand that because like I was like the goody two shoes too. Like I have a half sister, like and I don't really know her. Uh, well, we didn't grow up in the same house, so I don't really like know uh, like I know of her, and I kind of had some form of relationship, but I don't really have one mm-hmm. now. Um, so like I was the kid who sat in this room and and read books all the time and and things like that. Like I just did. <clears throat> Sorry. I just was like super antisocial. Like I was an introvert. See, I and you're and you're not an introvert. <laughs> you know what? It's it's funny because in some ways I am. In some ways I'm an extroverted introvert. Like I, because yeah. I like to be around people, but only when I want to be. <laughs> like, whereas, you know, yeah. a lot of extroverts just have to be around people all the time. But the book thing is is very real. I just to this day, my mum. Like six weeks ago, I was at a party and my mum was there. And I was saying to my friend as a joke, I'm like, oh, yeah, just wait until you have a conversation with you, with her. She'll tell you the thing she's most proud of is the fact that I was the first kid to read in kindergarten. And he's like, no. And then two minutes later, he came over and he's like, oh, my God. Do you know you were the first kid to read in kindergarten? I'm like, yep. And I, and I think that that was such, like, that was such a blessing for my parents because um, we didn't have a lot of money and so books were a reward, books were a gift, but they were also yeah. a way to keep me quiet. 
And um, and there I would be that kid sitting in the corner of the room while my dad was having chemotherapy, and I'd just be lost in a book. And um, and that was, and it was sort of it, it was like a cycle. It was Rachel's getting a book because she's well behaved, but the book is going to make her well behaved. And um, yeah, I just oh my gosh, absorbed absorbed books. I think I was um. I think I was in fourth grade with a ninth grade reading level. Like it just was, wow. it was crazy. It was what I, what I couldn't and did read that I then had to now, go back and reread as an adult because I didn't really grasp it, but yeah. yeah. What did you read then? Oh my gosh. <laughs> or if you can think of stuff, oh. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, no, 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 no. It's okay. Um, okay, so I can remember being uh, six. The first novel that I read the whole way through was uh, The Babysitter's Club, Christie's Big Idea. And those those books were sort of aimed at girls that were, I think, 10 or 11. That was the first book that mm. I read the whole way through. Um, by the time I was 12, 13, I, I could recite Shakespeare by heart. I was... Re wow. Yeah, I was reading even like even now. I, that was my one place that I always needed to go was Stratford upon Avon. Um, I yeah, I could recite Shakespeare by heart. I was reading Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and um, I loved the classics. I I still love the classics, um, but I yeah, I could I could pretty much read anything that was put in front of me. Um, and understand most of what was put in front of me. And, and it's really just uh, books, things like um, Madame Bovary and, and things like that, things that had a very sort of strong romantic feel to them. Wuthering Heights, I, I had to go back and reread them when I was a bit older because, you know, as, as a 10 or 11-year-old, you have no concept of romance or, or desperation and love. You know, mm -hmm. you know, ten-year-old Rachel was just hoping that Luke Perry would happen by my house and decide that I was the <laughs> one for him. You know. Oh my goodness! No. <laughs> now I can come back from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh my god, I'm just like some of my words. Anyway, um, so let's talk about let's talk about weight because I know. You know, that's something that's a part of your life, you know, like in general. So yes. when did, and you said that weight became an issue when your, when your dad died, right? Mm. So uh, my father died three weeks before I turned 10. Mm -hmm. And um, which is actually uh, very, very soon, actually. It's um, anniversary is in just over three weeks the 29th yeah. 29th of august will be the 27th anniversary and um he so so when he passed away i i didn't eat for a week mm -hmm. and i remember being at his funeral at his wake and i ate a chocolate biscuit which you guys would call a cookie we call it a biscuit mm -hmm. um I ate a chocolate biscuit and my sister-in-law who was living with us at the time uh, said to me, oh, honey, you should really have a sandwich. And my sister, who I barely knew because she'd lived in a, another state my whole life, 
had a massive fight with my sister-in-law saying her father's just died. She can eat whatever she wants. This is true. And um, I, I, I agree with her. <laughs> but but the, the truth of it was my sister-in-law was just trying to take care of me. And she knew that I hadn't yeah. eaten all week. And she just wanted to make sure I was eating something good for me and not just a chocolate biscuit, basically. And, um, and I think... I think when you're a child and your parent dies, people will do whatever they can to make you feel better. Mm -hmm. And for most kids, candy is a part of that, right? That's true. um, And so it started almost unintentional. And, you know, everybody would sort of give extras and treats and things, things that I'd never really had. Um, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't, we never had junk food in our house. Uh, we never bought takeaway, but we were all grieving, my mother included. And, and so we, the, you know, the daily diet, I guess, changed a lot. And by the time I was nearly 11, my dancing teacher had told my mother that she was worried about me being able to past dancing exams because I had gone from being, I was always, I guess, I was a solid kid, but yeah. I, I went from being a solid kid to being a really, really chubby girl. And, um, and I was probably, to be completely honest, I was probably due a gross spurt as well. And um, mm-hmm. my mum did what she thought was the best idea, which was she took me to Weight Watchers. And, and I'll, I'll stand by Weight Watchers. I feel like Weight Watchers is actually something that can really work if you really focus on it. Um, and for mm-hmm. me at the time, it was the perfect thing because it was about nourishing my body, and um, which I did perfectly for a couple of years to uh, too much of a degree, by the way. I was really, really good at knowing how much fat and calories was in everything and became very, very... Uh, controlling over anything that went through my lips. And um, yeah. and I dropped, I, I dropped, I said that, it would have been, I lost 20 kilos, which was 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also had a growth spurt in that time too. So I went from 5'3 to 5'6. I'm 5'6. Okay, Willie, I'm 5'6. <laughs> You're taller in real life. Thank you so much, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been five six since I was twelve years old. I've not grown since I was twelve years old, and um, yeah, and so I I dropped it. But food and weight have always been an issue. I was either too heavy or too light. So by twelve, there I was five foot six. I was under a hundred pounds. I had gone through puberty, so my body had had these changes and. I so literally I was meant to have a woman's body and there I was in the underweight borderline very underweight category and um and I just kept pushing and there were people that sort of mentioned to my mom that they were worried and when I look back at photos there are certain parts of my body where you don't see that I mean I always I'm short-waisted so I've always been prone to having a look of having a slight stomach but when you look at my neck, my hands, my face, all of these things were were very, very thin. And yeah. um, 
and I I did I, I was on swim team at the same time and my swim swim coach actually had pulled my mother aside and said look I'm really worried about her and my mum's like well why is that and he's gone well we were having M&Ms the other day he said and I offered her some and she said no he's like and I don't know any 12 year old that says no to M&Ms and um, and my mum's like she's just vigilant she's got goals and I did I did have goals I, I lived in this world where I wanted to be a ballerina I did not have a natural dancer's body and I even when I was ridiculously slim I did not have a body that was built for ballet and I was doing everything I could to basically be good enough so that people wouldn't notice that and um yeah and and to the point where I just I I treated my body so poorly because I would get injured and I would dance on an injury you know okay Rachel you've got to take four weeks off Uh uh-huh two days later I was back at it and um and I'm remarkably lucky that I didn't do more damage to myself with it um and then the vigilance went a step further in terms of what was going through my mouth it was it was deprivation and then if I couldn't which I couldn't always which I I viewed that as weak when I couldn't I would binge and purge and just um, and I, and I just, and I did that for years. And then somewhere along the line, I, I got injured when I was 17 and, um, the weight went on so quickly because I was dancing 30, 40 hours a week. And then all of a sudden I wasn't dancing and, um, yeah. and I put yeah. on a large amount of weight in a really short amount of time. And then I tried to go back to dancing and I, and I couldn't. I couldn't because particularly any anybody who's ever been a ballerina and has danced on point and on your toes, trust me, you feel a pound. You put on a pound, you feel it. And um, I had, I had essentially probably put on about 45 pounds and it was just horrendous and it hurt and, and just, I couldn't do it. So then I was still binging, but I wasn't purging anymore. Um, and yeah. yeah, and so, and thus began, um, an unhealthy relationship with food. I think that probably started when I was nine and, um, and to be honest, it's still a daily work in progress to make myself, I, I guess, be, to have my mind set towards food be the best that it possibly can be because food was and is an addiction. I still think about it, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it, and it always has been. It, it's all you know. It's it's been an addiction for over twenty years now. It's just uh, whether or not I'm having it. I'm either I'm either completely obsessed with not having it or completely obsessed with having it. Um, I'm I've found more balance as time's gone on, but it's yeah, it's still very prevalent, very much there. No, I totally agree with you because I, I still have that problem too. Um, I've always had problems with food ever since I was, I want to say like five maybe. And it's just not, I've just not really 100% come out of that. Um, yeah, I've always had issues with like with food and like, like binging it in general. I had a, a really bad problem with it in my 20s and I don't have much of a problem with it anymore. Like I can 
feel myself trying to go back towards that sometimes, but like for the most part, I, I don't, I don't do that stuff anymore. So I, I totally understand it. It's nice to know I'm not alone. Yeah, I mean, I it, it's 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 not something you can just fix with like like a book or just just talk like it's it's like a process that you have to go through like it's and it, for me and and you it might be like a lifelong process that we have to deal with i think so i think we all have our crosses to bear and i think we all have i think everybody has an addictive personality with certain things and I mm -hmm. actually, it's quite funny. I see it a lot, um, particularly with people that have had weight loss surgery and they've lost their weight really fast. And um, because they have so much restriction that they, you know, they literally cannot be addicted to food anymore in the same yeah. way. They become addicted to shopping, <laughs> right? Because we, yeah. we do that. We replace one addiction with another or they'll become addicted to exercise or, you know, and, and, it's like anything too much of even too much of a good thing is not a good thing. This is true. Depending on what that good thing is. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand that because I, with my weight loss thing, I lost 300 pounds, had no clue what to do. And then I started doing other things to kind of feed that addiction. So like, I totally understand that. Yeah, so, um, so when did you decide to have the the weight loss surgery? Because I know down the line that you, um, you know, you had this issue with food and all this stuff, and then I know down the line you end up having weight loss surgery. What what was the, the decision to make to do that? Oh my gosh, um, it was a very very long decision. Um, you will see a lot of people that have had weight loss surgery tell you that it's not the easy way out. Now, I get why they say that because you still have to nourish your body. You still have to exercise. You still have to do all these things. But is weight loss surgery a hell of a lot easier to lose weight in the beginning? It absolutely is. Um, with me, I had been told by doctors for at least five years before I did it that it was a good option for me, that it was just a really good way to to drop weight and make myself healthier. Um, and I kept saying no. To me, it was a Band-Aid over a bullet hole. Why am I this big? Why do I have these food problems? Why, 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 why? And then eventually I got to a point where my weight was so unhealthy that it really didn't matter why. I just needed to get that shit off my body. And yeah. um, and I just realized that I just swore on your podcast and, and didn't mean to. Sorry. <laughs> like, Daryl uh, gets F-bombs and, and you, get, you get apologies for the S-word. <laughs> Look, you can say whatever you want on this podcast. This is this is your this is your platform. You can do whatever you want with it. Um, yeah, and so I had had years of that. I had lost weight. I had regained. So I had had years and years of this vicious cycle of where I would lose. I, okay, so I will. I'll in my head. I'll convert everything to pounds because that's just easier. I'd lose a hundred pounds. I put on a hundred and twenty. Mm -hmm. I'd lose. 150 pounds I'd put on 190 
and it would just go up and down, up and down, up and down, and so quickly. Like it just, there was no rhyme or reason, and I just kept getting bigger, and then I, um, I got very, I got very ill and put on about 80 pounds in about four months. It all just went on really big, fast. And I just, I got to that point where I was well over 500 pounds and went, I can't, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I can do. And I um, had a client at work who came through and, and she looked at me and she went, have you ever thought about weight loss surgery? And I went, oh, um, yeah. I said, I, I just, you know, I, I don't know. And she looked at me and she went, because I've had weight loss surgery. I went, okay. And she gave me her card for her surgeon. And she went, look, just, you know, even just make the appointment and have a chat. And I went, okay. And I called a few different ones. And none of them would see me at my starting weight, except for the one that she went to. All of the others were like, lose 100 pounds and then come back. Come back in six months when you've lost 100 pounds. And, um, and when I went in to see him, he just looked at me and he's like, okay. He goes, I'm good. You have perfect blood pressure and perfect blood sugars. You don't have cholesterol. He's like, I don't, I don't even know how any of that's possible but you don't. He's like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you're healthy because you, your body, your heart is working that hard. But medically speaking, I guess with exception to weight, you are healthy. So, you know, maybe we should just take advantage of the fact that you haven't died yet and do something about that. And, yeah. um, and I'm like, oh, a lot of surgeons have turned me down. And he's like, because of the starting weight, they're not looking at all the factors. I'm looking at all the factors. You're healthy, but you won't be. If you keep doing this, you won't be. You're going to eat yourself to death. And I'm like, okay. And um, I think from that moment, it was three and a half months from that moment to being on the surgical table. Yeah. And um, I don't regret it. I... There are things that I know now that I wish I knew then, but hindsight is like mm -hmm. that, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty, and mm -hmm. but I guess what I've learned is that I've always known about correct portions. I've always known about what foods I should be eating and what foods I shouldn't be eating, and how to best balance food. What I never ever focused on is why I felt the need to fill my body. Yeah. And um and how much of this is is a mind game because it really is. It all is. And um and that and this is the part that blows people people's minds, right? That you could feel better about how you look physically and definitely how you look physically naked at five hundred and I think at my my highest I was about five hundred and twenty pounds. I felt more comfortable and more confident naked at 520 pounds than I did at 300 pounds. But people can't understand no. that. People can't fathom that because we have this thought process that thinner is better. 
And I guess my head has never really done the thinner is better. Thinner is, I mean, lighter is generally speaking healthier. Mm -hmm. But even when I was skinny, it was, it was never really about how my body looked other than how I needed it to look for dancing. It was more, it wasn't that I felt more beautiful when I was thinner. No, it was about having that body fit what it needed to fit. And yeah. And so um, I think that's a big thing that we never address is that body issues are not limited to size that you can be a size zero or a size 30 and have the same body issues, you know? And so I think having known that, if I had known that at the time, if I had known how much of a head game it was, I would have, so my surgeon makes it compulsory to see a psychologist twice before you go in for your surgery. But I would have just, Mm -hmm. I, I would have gone every week. I would have sorted out what was going on in my head first um yeah so yeah that was how that came about and um i never hit it i know that there's a lot of people uh particularly on instagram who are secret sleevers i was never a secret sleever mostly because when you've been over 500 pounds and then all of a sudden you drop 100 pounds in three months and you just go oh yeah no diet and exercise people tend to not (laughs) believe you so (laughs) I just didn't see the point um, in pretending. Um, and also because I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. it. It's something that I did to prolong my life. Yeah. Um, so I'm not ashamed of it, no. No, I mean, I, <clears throat> I totally get it. Um I was going to kind of piggyback on what you said about the, uh, you know, seeing the therapist and stuff like that, because like, if that stuff was more really like, because uh, it's expensive here in the States, like, it's just like, it's a little bit ridiculous, the, the, the loops you have to go through to get some kind of therapist or mental health kind of diagnosis or anything like that. Like, it's, it's a little too much. Yeah. Um, and I wish I wish more people had access to that kind of stuff, like to go see a therapist and, and talk about your food issues or, or why do you feel like the need to to binge or and things like that. Like, and that stuff's just kind of a lot of people just don't have the money for it just to go do that stuff. And I know there's there's sliding scales and stuff like that, but it's still like super expensive. So. Hello. Sorry, you dropped out for a second there. Oh, what's what's the last thing you heard? Um, uh, no, I heard that people people don't have the finances to ex uh, to access the help that they need. Basically. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just I, I don't know. I, I I'm 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 super pro like people seeing therapists and stuff like that too fix any kind of issues they they may or may not have like i don't know it's just like i wish that stuff was more readily available and it's just like you don't have to pay an 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 astronomical fee to see someone i would agree i think that 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 would be ideal really 
Yeah, because there's so many people out there who have those issues and they just don't know how to fix them by themselves, you know, and, and, and they can't really afford to. Well, some people can afford to, but like there's a lot of people who cannot afford to go see somebody and talk, talk through their issues and stuff like that. Mm. So. And there's a lot of people, I, I think there's a lot of people that sort of think that, that, that think that it's weak to do it. I had this one friend and he had so, so many food related issues. And I'd say to mm -hmm. him, you, you need to go and see someone, you need to go and talk to somebody. And he'd be like, oh, I've got CrossFit. I've got CrossFit. I've got CrossFit. And I'm like, dude, it takes an hour. Go, go for an hour, go see somebody. Miss CrossFit for one day, go and talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. Because you're making that hour in your day to fix your physical body, fix your freaking head. Because without your head, you're not going to fix the physical, yeah? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I will. He never did. <laughs> <laughs> and then... I think people are afraid to. Absolutely. Abs and, and I absolutely get that because you never really know what's going to come out because we are remarkably good at lying to ourselves. We are remarkably good at lying to ourselves and, and saying that something's okay when it's really not or pretending that it didn't hurt our feelings when it really did or, you know, mm -hmm. feeling weak. And, and we pretend that we don't feel weak for feeling or thinking a certain way. And, and, you know, and we're remarkably good at that. We're remarkably good at saying, oh, I'm fine. No, oh, you're not fine. But you are so good at saying it that at some point you actually start to believe that it's true and it's not. Now... <clears throat> You know, that's obviously a generalization and that's not everybody, but we are very good in general. We are very good at lying to ourselves. And um, uh -huh. and some people can live with the lie and some people can't. I am not somebody that can. I am somebody that lets things eat me up. <laughs> um, <coughs> you know, and, and I've often said that everybody has addictions. It's just that mine was evident on the outside of my body, you could see what my addiction was. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. Of course you do. <laughs> You're really gillis. You get it all, buddy. <laughs> so, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's because I'm remarkably adorable. I did distract you. I'm sorry about that. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I can't help it. Sure. <laughs> so I. <laughs> oh, oh, you just so cut me down with that. You just like, sure. <laughs> sorry, I interrupted you. I. You didn't interrupt me. So. Um. Uh... I was going to ask you, do you have any kind of like sort of practice like with self-reflection? Like, do you do something like daily or, because you know, I do my gratitude list and stuff like that. So I was wondering if you had something kind of similar. Um, I go through stages where I have different things. Um, I used to do a, a thing where I had to find uh, something, find a moment of happiness in every day. Mm -hmm. Um which is probably something that I, I still do without actually listing it. Um, 
I love your gratitude list. They make me want to do them. Um, but I'm like, I'm really, really hopeless with stuff like that in the sense of, you know, I used to do those photo a day challenges and I'd do really mm -hmm. well for three days and then it'd be like the 27th and I would literally post 27 pictures <laughs> to catch up on all the things I hadn't done for the month. Um, I think... Oh, look, I, um, I don't, I don't, I don't formalize it, I guess. Um, and maybe I should, but I have different, different things for, for different things. I get myself into the mindset of the day by, I, <laughs> I have different playlists, right? I am a Spotify geek. I am a music mm -hmm. geek and I like my playlists. And uh, the one that I usually use for the the morning is Songs to Move My Ass To. That's the name of the playlist. <laughs> and, um, or Songs to Get My Ass Moving. And it's basically, the it, it sets my frame of mind for the day. Yeah. Um, and it can be, it can be anything. Like it can be something like Uptown Funk is really good. For, for getting me sort of up and going, but it can be anything. Walking on Sunshine used to be a really good song at putting me in a good mood. My all-time favourite song, and this is so cheesy, but I'm going to admit it anyway, is Hall and Oates, Making My Dreams Come True. And it's just a song that puts me in a good frame of mind. And um, I think that if I'm leaving the house in the good frame of mind, I've got my coffee within an hour of leaving the house. I, I maintain that for as long as I can. And um, I think so much of my day, my work day is dependent on, on factors outside of my control. So yeah. I, I've got to just do my best to start the day with a bang and start the day upbeat. Um, <laughs> and I, if I'm feeling a little more pensive, I listen to true crime podcasts because, you know. That sort of stuff puts you in a great mood. <laughs> yeah, and you just recently like recommended something to yeah. me. And I was like, <laughs> I need to I need to listen to these because <laughs> you're like, this one's great, this one's great, this one's okay. I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I I like when I give you justifications <clears throat> and like this one's really good for this, this one's really good for this, and this one's, you know. Um yeah, because I, I recommended a few Australian ones to you, but I also, I really like one American one, and I like it because um, I, because I, I don't live in the States. I haven't heard of three quarters of the cases that they cover, so it's like, ooh, new and exciting. Um, yeah, look, I actually feel like I should do more of a daily affirmation. Um, I, yeah, I am... Um, I don't. I just start my day with a good song and a good cup of coffee is basically a way to get me through. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, it depends on the cup of coffee, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I started doing the gratitude list because like I, I follow this, uh, this ultra runner named Amelia Boone and she was doing it like daily. And I was like, I'm going to do that too. And so I started doing it because she started doing it and I just felt better about doing it. Cause I was like, it makes me think about like, what am I actually grateful for? Like as the days and weeks go on, because 
for the longest time, I was not thinking about what I was grateful for. I was just like, okay, I'm just living life. Yeah. But now I get it gives me a chance to slow down and think, okay, what in the last day or two, like for this list, what has what is it, what have I been grateful for or thankful for or anything like that? See, I, I like that. My sister actually does a thing um, for the month of January every year where she lists the things that she's grateful for. Um, just every January on Facebook because she doesn't really Instagram. Um, and she will just every day does a status for the things that she's grateful for for that day. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I love the idea of it. Um, I love the concept of it. And I actually... I've always kind of been that person that when I'm in a relationship, I actually really, really like once a week having, you know, (laughs) basically, all right, okay, no, I'm going to be really honest here. You basically making, making each other accountable for three things that you like about the other person from that week. Mm -hmm. One romantic, one sweet, one sexual. And um, because sex is a big part of relationships and anybody who tells you that it isn't is a big old liar or in denial. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? um, and, and so even, even to the point where, like, you know, and, and romance is interpretive, you know, it's whatever you think it is. So I find things that are really thoughtful, really romantic. Um, I... You know, sweet things can be anything. Somebody starting your car up for you because it's the middle of winter and they know it's going to take a while for the frost to clear from the windscreen, but they go out 10 minutes before you've got to leave the house and start your car up. That's really sweet. Um, You know, uh, sexual can be anything. It can be like, you know, I really appreciated the, the view I got this morning when you got out of the shower. Like, and so I, I think doing stuff like that, like at least once a week, I I think we have a tendency to take things for granted. You know, in our day-to-day lives, we're very, very good at, yeah. at finding the negative more so than the positive. And that's not me being like a positivity ninja. I just think that we are more likely and more naturally disposed as, as human beings to find the negative. Um, you know, you can get 10 compliments, but you'll remember the insult. Um, so I think that forcing yourself to be accountable for the good things in your life is, is a really, really good thing. And I commend you for it because I look forward to reading your gratitude lists every day. Yeah. And sometimes that's, that's such hard. Well, I appreciate that. I just look, I just (laughs) went over your compliment. Um, I appreciate that because I, you know, I have to do 10 things every day and, like I try to do 10 different things. Like I try not to repeat the same thing back to back. So coming up with 10 things every day is like, sometimes it can be hard. I'm like, there will be 20 minutes where I'm like, what am I really grateful for today? Like, I need to figure this out. Like, <laughs> so I really want to put this, like, yeah, I, I will. Like, it will take me 20 minutes just to figure out like, okay. Well, having I mean, having this done list. this podcast with me, I'm completely okay. If you want your 10 things to just be Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> For today, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> okay, no, but there's there's been sometimes where like like I'll have a conversation with you like anyway, and, and like you'll pop up on the gratitude list in some form or fashion, and we have an inside joke because we know like you're like 
you were being you're you're talking you were being grateful about me because like I would say something and you're like that's the conversation we just had like two yeah. hours ago. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I am. I am grateful for my appearances on your grateful list, your gratitude list. Yeah, I try to change it up. I try to change it up where it's either like just like the straight gratitude list, or I'm talking about people, or I'm talking about like things I'm interested in, like podcasts or stuff like that. Like I try to change it up. I try not to have the I'm grateful for my toothbrush. Like I try not to, <laughs> to have the same kind of you know gratitude list. So. Well, because it's making you expand your aspects of the things in your life that you're grateful for. Because I think we're really, really good at finding things that we're grateful for outside of ourselves in the sense of, I'm really grateful for my friends and my family. Done. Well, no, not done. Why are we grateful for them? What is it that they're bringing to our lives? You know, and more so, what are you grateful for for yourself? Um, I was actually, I, uh, I have spent the day with my mother today, which is a very, very interesting day, which I will tell you about when we are not recording. And, um, <laughs> and, and she was actually, she was telling me about my dad and she was telling me about, um, which is funny because she's not one to really talk about my dad much. And we were talking about the week before he passed away and she was saying, um, how he was so sick because he, he was having so much treatment. In the end, they'd sort of said to him, the treatment's either going to kill the cancer or it's going to kill you, right? The level of yeah. treatment, um, the chemo was, was so high. And, um, and he couldn't keep anything down. And my father loves seafood. <laughs> and my mother was there. Uh, she said she was there. He was in the bathtub because it was the only place where he, his body was sort of, he could feel okay which actually rings really true because with, with me, that's like the bath is my happy place. <laughs> and, and she said that she was literally sitting there and she was peeling prawns. We call them prawns. I don't know what you guys call I think you guys call them shrimp. Um, she uh -huh. was peeling prawns and feeding him prawns while he was in the bathtub. And, and he ate them and she's like, and I like to think that, that those prawns kept him alive for another week. And I'm like, no, mom the uh, the stubbornness and the sheer belief that he was never going to die kept him alive for another week. But the prawns were probably really yum too. <laughs> and, <laughs> right? and um, yeah, and I, and I think that we sort of, we take away from the things that we bring into this world, you know, that yeah. um, you, my, my, both of my parents are incredibly stubborn. And I think we have this belief that stubbornness is actually a really negative trait. And sometimes it, it is. But was it not for stubbornness, some of the greatest surgeons in the world wouldn't have discovered the things that they've done or, or the scientists or the thinkers or the writers or the journalists that had a hunch about a story that then, boom, you know. And, and I sort of go, well, I've always sort of... <laughs> I've always been like, oh, stubbornness, self-righteousness, cynicism. Thanks, mom and dad. Um, <laughs> but these are things that have made me more resilient. My mm -hmm. stubbornness is, is actually very much linked with my resilience because no freaking way am I going to let somebody else keep me down. You know, you knock me down, I'll get back up. 
you know, sometimes slower and, you know, sometimes with the use of something because I'm really, really clumsy. And if I'm on the ground and I'm trying to get back up, that's just going to be disastrous. But, but these are, these are things that we sort of view in a negative light. And I think that there's positivity, there's put there's positive aspects to all the negative aspects, um, you know, that it's all about balance. And so I, what I love about your gratitude lists is that quite often you have things in there about yourself that you're grateful for. And, and I don't even know whether you're aware that you're doing it in the ways that you're, you're wording it, you know, trying new things, taking steps, you know, finding the good. And these are all things that you are actually doing for yourself. You're not finding your happiness in other people or in other things. You're mm. finding the happiness that you have within yourself and how that applies to the things around you. And and I just think that's a really, really admirable and incredible thing that you're doing there. So cheers to you, my friend. I appreciate it. There's there's times where <clears throat> there's there's times where I don't I I try to pull that stuff out because I'm I'm not actively thinking about it. I'm, I'm just doing it. Mm. Um, because I if I don't recognize that I'm I'm doing those things, like I just don't even I'm like, oblivious to it. So I try to put that stuff out there and be like, this is what I'm working on on, on myself. And I just want people to know that this this is what you should be working on too, in some form or fashion. If if you have issues with you know, being second instead of being first with yourself. That's, that's actually something that I need to get better at. I'm very, very good. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know that I'm guilty of it. I'm really good at flipping things around so that people are talking about themselves rather than me talking about me. I'm, I'm really, really. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I've had conversations with you where I ask you, how are you doing? And then you will flip it about what am, what am I doing? I'm like, no, how are you doing? <laughs> I got that. What do you think I'm avoiding? I'm not avoiding Willie. I don't know what you're talking about. How are you? <laughs> yeah, you were avoiding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I, call, and I called you out. On yes. Yeah, I, I I try to make sure everybody else is okay, and that and that's always been a problem. But like for the most part, like now, like I don't do that. Like I make sure I'm okay, and then I make sure everybody else is okay after me. So I, I think there needs to be balance because I think yeah, I I think people that something that I found in common with a lot of people that have had weight problems is that we're very very good at being people pleasers. We're very, very good mm -hmm. at making sure other people are okay. And we're very, very good at putting ourselves second in a lot of ways. Right? Yes. Um, and not in every way because in, yeah, I, but I, I do think that we need to, particularly if we want to get on top of that, we need to learn to put ourselves first and what that means for us. And it's, and it's different for each person and the length that you're willing to do it is different for, from each person. And, and I get that it's a difficult concept, particularly for parents, um, you know, and I, I just sort of think that if you are going to give 
someone the best version of yourself, you you need to be able to put yourself first enough to be able to do that. Even if it's not all the time, just sometimes, just enough, enough to sort of put your best foot forward, I guess. No, I totally agree. Well, that's because I'm really, really profound and shit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Professor Professor Rachel. Okay, Professor. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about... um, Because I I wanted to talk to you about this because we've had conversations about this, but like travel. What What has been your favorite place to visit and then what is the one place that you know you want to go to eventually? Oh, that's such a great question. I really love that. I know. That's why I asked you. Because <laughs> I'm a travel bugger. Um, I think I'm just, uh-huh. uh, um, gosh, there have been so many incredible places that I've been um, and places that I didn't expect to have an impact on me. I, um, I loved Belfast. Um, so I went to Belfast, I actually went to Paris, um, and ended up at Paris Disney. And when I was at Paris Disney, I was there with a whole group of kids, like a whole group of kids from Belfast were there and their parents kept saying to me, you should go to Belfast. You should go to Belfast. And I literally did this trip, this European trip with one of my best mates when we were both 24 and, um, 24, 20, 25. And this was how we did the trip. Right, we're going to start in London and then we're going to spend four days in London and then we're going to go wherever the cheapest flight is. And then we're going to go wherever the cheapest flight is. And then we're going to go wherever the cheapest flight is. And that was how we made our way around. And this was literally, this was tw- uh, 2007. This was just as you could start to book. You could book planes on the internet. Couldn't book anything else, but you could book flights uh-huh. on the internet. And so we would go wherever the cheapest flight was for that day. And so we had gone from Paris. We, we'd gone to Berlin. And Berlin was really important for me. It's, uh, it's where my father's family was from. I, I really wanted to go to Berlin. And I just actually think that when you're looking at cities that sim- <laughs> like a symbolic of resilience, Berlin is a city that is symbolic of resilience because every time they freaking build it back up, something happens and it gets knocked back down. You know, you had World War One, then they, then they all got built back up. World War Two, <laughs> see you later. Then they built it back up. Then they had the Berlin Wall. Then that got knocked down. And it's just a city that just keeps rebuilding itself. And and I just I had always really wanted to go to Berlin. Um, it did not let me down. I loved it. Um, and one of the best nights in my life was actually spent in Berlin, in a laundromat with my be- with one of my best mates, getting drunk while we'd done a month's worth of laundry. um right um and then the next day when we went into the internet cafe (laughs) yep because you couldn't get the internet on your phone went into the internet cafe and the cheapest flight wouldn't you know was to belfast and we went all right let's do it and um and Belfast was a city that I, I never expected to be anything I didn't the only thing I knew about it was that it was in northern ireland I didn't even realize that Northern Ireland and Ireland were two different places at that stage. And um, it was just so in- incredible. We hired a car. We spent 
three days in Belfast, which were amazing. And then we literally drove through Ireland, um, drove through Northern Ireland, through Ireland, went down to Dublin, spent some time there, caught a ferry across to Wales. And it was just, um, yeah, so I really, I really loved Belfast. I really loved Berlin. I've, I've pretty much loved most places I've been, but my absolute best place that I've ever been was the day that I got to go to Stratford-upon-Avon. Um, and that was two years ago that I did that. I was over visiting my best friend for her 40th. Um, and, uh, my, a friend of mine, (laughs) the the friend that wouldn't give up his hour of CrossFit to actually go and see a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) He and I had spent a lot of time hanging out together when I was over there. And, um, we were supposed to be going to York to catch up with a friend and he picked me up at eight o'clock in the morning and, I got in the car and I'm like, oh, what time did you did we say we were meeting Chris? And he's like, oh, we're, n- we're not meeting Chris. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, no, no, I cancelled. And I've gone, well, why? And he's like, because we're going somewhere else. And he wouldn't tell me where we were going. He covered my eyes anytime we went through, went near any street signs. And then, I, like, he sent my best friend a message telling her, she's safe we're not going to york but she's safe um and when she knows where we're going we're going to call you and um and she was like okay yeah cool and um and i'd literally the 24 hours before this i'd had the worst 24 hours it it had just been really horrendous and then Uh we we sort of been in the car for about an hour and a half nearly two hours and he's like, okay, you can look now. And there it was on a sign, Stratford-upon-Avon. And I went, really? And he's like, really? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then I rang my best friend and I was crying. I was so happy because, like I said, I'm a Shakespeare geek and I'm a book geek. And this has been, you know, my my whole life I have wanted to go to this place, this mm-hmm. this place where poetry and plays began for me really um and it was just the most incredible day it was like we walked I took the most incredible photos we went to the the Shakespeare um we went to the Royal Shakespeare Company we went to his house where he was born we we went through the whole village we bought fudge at a market um, like it just was, you know, we ate a lot of cheese. It was really to anybody else. This was just a day, but to me, it was just the ultimate day. I have had very few perfect days in my life and it was one of them. And, um, yeah. And so Stratford-upon-Avon would be the best place that I have been. Um, that said, I did very much like my time in the States and I look forward to seeing all whole lot more of the states um yeah Stratford upon avon was my place that i just was the best place i've been um i really i really 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 want to go to rome because Mm -hmm. audrey hepburn made me fall in love with rome um i just want to see the spanish steps and the coliseum and the trevi fountain and i want to yeah, I just, I would, I would love to see that. To me, that's a place where history began. And, and because I've long had this love affair and fascination with Italy, 
I've never gone because to me, Italy is not a place that I can do in four days. Right? <laughs> no, there's no way. And, and so it's a, it's a place that needs to be experienced. So Italy is absolutely on the list. Um, as is China, I really want to see the terracotta soldiers. Um, where else? Gosh, there are so many places. I really want to go to Lapland so that I can spend the night in a glass igloo. But I am planning on winning the lottery before I do that because that's, like, ridiculously expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, oh, there's so many places. There are so many places in my own country that I, I want to see that I haven't seen yet as well. And, and so with this new role that I'm doing through work, there's a lot of travel involved and it's going to parts of the country that I haven't seen. So, so that's exciting. But, oh, my gosh, there's so many places I want to go. Like, yes. <laughs> what about you? Where do you want to go? Well, no, I told you uh, a few days ago that Iceland is one of those places that are really on my list. Yes. Uh, Iceland, Australia, like, those two in particular, like uh, I told you, Australia was one of the, the places that I wanted to go to when I was a kid. So, like, it's definitely on, on the top of my list. Well, you you need to come and visit, dude. You've got somewhere to stay. <laughs> um, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> You're more than welcome. I mean, as long as you can put up with pug fur, you've got somewhere to stay. <laughs> I love dogs, so that's fine with yeah, me. They, they will cuddle you to death. Um, oh, gosh. Like, there are so many places I want to go and and see and experience. And I've, I've spent a lot of time in Britain. Um, but I want to spend more and I want to go there more. And I'm, it sounds so strange. I've always felt like I would end up living there. I don't know why. It hasn't happened yet, but I've always just had that feeling that, that if I was going to actively live somewhere else i just have always felt like i would probably end up in the uk um <clears throat> mostly because i don't mind the rain and i really love history and both of those things are <laughs> are there <laughs> but oh gosh yeah there, there are so many amazing places new zealand is incredible I've, I've been to new zealand i loved it um yeah there are so many other places i really want to go to japan Oh, I really want to go to Japan too. Yeah, I just. But I need to learn. I need to learn how to speak the language because when I went to Beijing, I tried to learn Mandarin, and it was oh, Mandarin is hard. Rough. Yeah, it was rough because I was trying to speak the language. I, you know, I did like the Rosetta Stone for like the first four months before we went. Mm-hmm. And it was rough because I could not even ask for a glass of water. Well, see, the good thing now, too, is that you can have Google Translate on your phone. So mm-hmm. you literally type in in English what you want to say. It interprets it into the language that you're wanting to. And you literally just hit the audio button and it's asking for what you want. And, you know, that's that's helpful. But I... Um, yeah, I, I did find it really, really funny when I was meeting my friend Joy in Chicago and she's like, are you going to be okay to get to the apartment? And I'm like, yeah. And she's gone, but like, you might have to catch the train. And I've gone, Joy, I've caught the train in countries where I don't speak the language. I think I can do it in Chicago. 
And she's like, <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> but you she thought see, it was a foreign country. Yeah. And then in the end, I actually, my flight got in so late that I Ubered. Um, which is another thing as well, because the Uber driver thought it was hilarious that I sat in the front seat of the Uber. <laughs> she was like. Did you really? Like, oh. Oh, and I've gone, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It's actually just something that we do back home. We sit yeah. in the front seat. We sit in the front seat of a taxi. We sit in the front seat of, of an Uber. We treat the driver more like they're a, they're a mate or a friend that we just happen to be paying to drive us somewhere. It's sort of, it's not really a class system. I find it, it yeah. Like it, it feels like it's a class system when you're sitting in the back seat. And just steady on, Jeeves. Drive, drive on. It do, it feels weird though. I I have driven in front of an Uber, and that's only because there was three other people in the back seat. Yeah, but like I've I've never thought of it that way. Like to sit in the front seat of an Uber or a taxi, and I've never done that. It's always the back seat. Oh yeah, no, come to Australia. We all do it here. It's actually. One of my favorite commercials ever about like that has ever been made from my country was actually made during the Sydney Olympics, and it was for Foster's beer, which is disgusting, and nobody in Australia actually drinks it. But anyway, um, and one of the lines in this commercial was they're listing all the things that are great about being Australian, and one of the lines is, "I sit in the front seat of a taxi," and it's true, we do. <laughs> it's like. That's so, like, I didn't even think of that concept until you said something. I was like, wait. I was like, what? Really? <laughs> she was lovely, by the way. And that's, and, and if I'm being completely honest, it's the only time that I've ever tipped an Uber driver. Um, because when I'd estimated my fare, it had told me that it was going to cost, I think, from, from the airport to the apartment, I think they'd said it was going to be $27. And it only cost uh -huh. me 21 so I gave her a $10 tip because I figured she was great conversation. Um, she was very sweet and just very nice. She lives in Detroit, and she said that, you know, she'd gone overseas because she'd been to Canada. And I just found that really endearing. And then she was telling me all about the differences between Popeyes and KFC. So <laughs> 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 I thought she was lovely. Well, I, I was like, that. I'm going like... to tip you. You're lovely. <laughs> I just thought about that. I was like, you should have just took the train. Because <laughs> that's, I take the train when I, when I went to Chicago. So I enjoy the train because you get to see a lot of the city. Well, yeah. I mean, I caught the L during the day, but it was because I, <laughs> my flight got in just before midnight. There was no oh. train. And it was snowing. It had snowed. It, there was six inches of snow on the runway when I got in. And there I was wearing flip-flops oh. because it was meant to be summer. Or close to summer, spring. This is true. <laughs> well, now you have done the podcast. I have. Are you? Are you? <laughs> are you satisfied now? Well, yeah, for now. But like, you want me to come back in a few months, right? Or you mean next year? <laughs> <laughs> you are a very very popular man Willie so at this point I will have to book in to get in <laughs> for, for Flying Pig next year yeah 
Well, you're always invited back. Well, thank you, darling. I would and be I, and I pre- and I appreciate your time. And I, I I I know we've been trying to get this this done, not done, but this together for several months now. And you have, I think, between you and Emily, y'all have both found very decisive, not decisive, very interesting ways to get me to get you guys on the podcast. <laughs> I love that girl. I said to her, I think if we were in the same place, you and I would be very, very good friends, very bad influences on each other. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get her on now, so she's she's coming up. Good. Hopefully. Look forward to hearing it. She's busy. She's a busy person. She is. So where can people contact you, Rachel? Um they can find me on Instagram at hopeful ray of sunshine. <clears throat> That's R A E for the ray of sunshine there. Um, uh-huh. They can find me on Twitter, but there's no point in tweeting me because I don't really know how to do that. Uh, <laughs> Who uses Twitter anyway? That's it. You can hear me on a Tuesday night or a Tuesday uh, on the Daryl Perry podcast for the weekly with Daryl and Rachel. And I do have my own podcast, which I'm getting less crap at doing things on, which is called Fifty Shades of Ray. There you have it. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Rachel. I appreciate you coming on. I I'm so grateful that you had me, and now I can stop whinging that you haven't. So <laughs> You're still gonna give me crap anyway. <laughs> it's win-win. <laughs> I want to thank Rachel for coming on and sharing her story, and just being a Hopeful Ray of Sunshine uh, on Instagram. So, <laughs> and that's her screen name. I'm making weird jokes. Uh, but yes, um, she, like I said, she is one of the most fantastic people I've met on Instagram in in the in a few months that I've known her. Um, she's like super positive, and I, I just I just love her death. She's she's just a a great person, and um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else to say, but I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. But uh, uh, I got a few more coming. Um, I got a few more coming with uh, Emily and uh, James Simpson. And I have a couple more that are not really scheduled out, but I have them coming. Um, but if you want to follow Rachel on Instagram, you can follow her at Hopeful Ray of Sunshine. That's R-A-E uh, as Ray. Uh, Hopeful Ray of Sunshine. Like I said, she's she's super um, involved in DMs. Like if you DM her, if you DM her, she'll probably DM you back within a few days. So like, definitely uh, check her out on on Instagram. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me at Willie Gillis. And I'm going to stop rambling and get off of here. But I hope you guys have a good day. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. There's more coming. And uh, other than that, I will talk to you guys soon.